Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rival's pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson, scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years, here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step to 53342. New York, call the 24-7 Hope Line at 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of The Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your co-host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Waz D. Lambray, and I'm joined by, of course, my brother on the west side of Los Angeles, Nando Vila, but we got a special guest today, Nando. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. We needed uh, Nando, don't we needed, so excited. <laughs> we needed to uh expand our representation. Absolutely. Because uh, we wanted yeah. to talk about the Jews. The the Jews. Dun. <laughs> we had to. We had to get um our token Jewish friend, Daniel Bessner. Of course, you know him as a history professor at UW. You know him from American Prestige. You know him from having worked on the Bernie campaign, on the foreign policy side. Uh, just from being an all-around mensch, you know this guy. You see, you see what I did there? <laughs> that was good. That was a very good one. Uh, you know this guy. So welcome to the show. And yeah, we're going to get into Kanye and anti-Semitism um, at some point in the show. But I wanted to start off with this brouhaha between the progressives um, in the Democratic Party and a letter that they sent. Uh, basically, like as Nando was saying before, they weren't even saying, let's try peace. They were just saying, like, can we, like, pivot to diplomacy, maybe, possibly, since, like, it's our job as the progressive wing of this party to, like, give voice to these ideas, like, ostensibly, like, the liberal party in this country. Like, yeah, like, diplomacy can db like i want to hear from your perspective like what you saw happen where these guys they send this letter they get absolutely crushed obliterated get sent packing running scared with their tail between their legs and then they throw their fucking staff under the bus 
which is just the Almost most ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's crazy. So yeah. can you like sort of parse what happened? Sure. Um, for the so, I mean, I think you, you described it pretty well. There was a letter released by, you know, uh, the Pramila Jayapal-led Progressive Caucus uh, in the Congress, and it is effectively said, you know, Ukraine has been going on for a long time. Uh, it's in danger of becoming what's called a frozen conflict, kind of a conflict that lasts forever where there's no winner or loser. Shit. The most famous one is probably Kashmir between India and Pakistan, uh, which has just been going on for decades, you know, and there, wow. it's just there. It, there's uh higher rates of violence at sometimes there's lower rates there's sort of an ebb and flow and and it looks like ukraine might very well come, become that so the letter was just essentially like let's try diplomacy um and it, it was immediately retracted uh some staffer uh, an unnamed staffer was quoted i forget precisely where maybe it was political saying that we did the world's softest trial balloon and were immediately you know shot down and it just really indicates that there's no real appetite or interest within washington dc for challenging the military industrial complex, the, the U.S. armament of, of the world, um, and I would argue American empire more broadly. Yeah, this was really a um, remarkable disciplining effect, right? I mean, it showed just um, how power works, how quickly it can flex its muscle, and how weak even the, the like what, what could possibly call it be called the left in this country um really is i mean that's what it that's really what it came down to is that there was no alternative power source for any sort of critique of the mainstream policy uh in, in ukraine um you know the other guys they just have all the power like literally all of it and even people you know 30 measly house democrats who were honestly if you read the letter it's the softest thing in the world it's like of course, we support the aid packages that have already been sent out. Of course, we support, you know, the Ukrainian uh, military, you know, full stop. But maybe we should maybe possibly sort of maybe think about maybe possibly doing a little diplomacy uh, to try to end this conflict. Again, restating that we support the, you know, that, that Putin is a murderous dictator and, and we support Ukraine. To the, again, the, the softest thing in the world, the reaction was unanimous. It was swift. It was, um, and they caved just as swiftly and unanimously um, as as the reaction was. Because again, there is no alternative power source. There is no source of of, of power that undergirds them. They're just guys and gals. Mm -hmm. You know, um, they don't and, have and, some movement behind them, right? Like nothing. it's 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 not like if it was uh, evangelicals, say, within the right. Republican who were like, yo, stop this war on the basis of Jesus. Like there's an institution there. There's people that are part of that institution. Like it's a block of people. Like, no, we're an entity that you can't really, do. you know, you can't just jerk us around like that. You can't right. just treat us like a nothing burger. Like this is an actual institution with an actual constituency of people uh the progressives like you said are just people who are in congress <laughs> yeah and particularly when it comes to foreign policy this mm. this is a an issue area uh that's been really outside of any sort of democratic impact for a long time the statistic that i like to use and listeners might or might not be aware is that the united states is actually not declared war well, 
Hold on, Danny. I want to I want to just unpack yeah. what you just said for people that don't understand. When you say this is outside of democratic impact, meaning no matter who gets voted in, who's in charge, who's like it doesn't matter what the people vote for or who gets voted in. This shit is intractable, right? Right. right. So and just to to exactly because According to the Constitution, the U.S. Congress is supposed to declare war when the United States uh, when the United States does things like fight wars. Uh, but the United States Congress has not declared war since 1942. And of right. course, famously, wow. the United Jesus States has been Christ. in Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, yeah. Afghanistan, right? So, Granada. So, yeah, Granada. There, there's even like, uh, yeah, there's a lot of those, you know, overthrowing the leader of Iran, overthrowing the leader of Guatemala, you know, uh, Allende in Chile. Um, so these are all, of course, what might reasonably consider some form of, of war or violence, but Congress mm -hmm. has had no say. So what, you know, people might think of it as the literal American state, the institutions that make decisions like the Department of Defense, the CIA, the National Security Council, they're basically not subject to democratic will. Yeah, right. The Some deep have called state. this the deep state, you know, uh, the foreign <laughs> policy establishment. And that doesn't even get into the, the unofficial organs, right? Like think tanks, you know, which are mm -hmm. like, quote unquote, private, but effectively work as the research arm of the American state. So, yeah, it's not great. There's not much control we have. And I want to get into. Because when we say people came down on them. The power came down on the progressives for even floating a letter that kind of suggested that there was an alternative to just flooding this place with a bunch of weapons and fighting until fucking kingdom come. Who is the, the sort of counter to these measly 30 bitch-ass progressives in Congress? Well, I mean, it's it's the, everything. It's the 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 entire power structure, capital writ large. You know what mm. I mean? Um, especially the sectors of capital that that are that are interested in this particular conflict and in just the ongoing conflict uh, in general, which you know usually is defense contractors. You know, just to just to be reductive and simplistic about it, but um, basically the forces of capital. You know, big money that is that has an interest in this. And and then everything that flows from there, from politicians, you know, other Democrats like, you know, Senator Chris Murphy came down really hard on them and, you know, members of their own party um, and then the organs in the media that respond to the whims of capital, you know, whether consciously or subconsciously. Um, it, it, that's just how it really works. I mean, I was reading Marcos Mulitsis tweets. Do you know who Marcos Mulitsis is? No, he was I like a. He was a he was the founder of something called the Daily Coast, which okay. in the early two thousands, yeah, in the early two thousands was like a, uh, you know, kind of considered a progressive blog network, I guess, that really challenged a lot of the um, establishment Democratic Party. But you know, uh, he's now just fully fully absorbed within that power structure of the Democratic Party, and he his tweets were just like very indicative. First of all, the line of critique was like. This is also what what House Dem, what what these progressive caucus members actually want is the same thing that Marjorie Taylor Greene wants. So, you know, if Marjorie Taylor Greene wants it, it's bad. You know, so that's that's mm -hmm. the first one. And then the 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 follow up, I mean, just shows just how how ridiculous uh, the or how ridiculously unanimous the just all out war position is, uh, and how bipartisan it is. Um, he writes. You know, in response to the letter, he goes, this by Rep. Rashida Tlaib and Rep. Rokana and other progressives is unbelievably naive and stupid. 
asking for, quote, diplomacy with a murderous terrorist regime literally raping and pillaging through Ukraine. Biden tried diplomacy to prevent war. Only overwhelming force will now end it. This guy wow. was like, made his bones, you know, opposing George W. Bush and Iraq in the early 2000s. This is like, now that's that's the position that's been absorbed. Yeah, and it's important, man, I mean, we, we talked about this um, the past few episodes about like, when it comes to the media manufacturing the consent, like it, that's why it's important to get all moralistic about Putin, right? He's an evil figure. He's a cartoon character villain. We have to defeat villainy. These poor, helpless Ukrainians, even though, not to sound heartless, why should we give a fuck what happens in Ukraine? Like, I just, I, like, this is not to sound fucked up. Like, how is that any of our business? How is this in any American's interest? Like, how is it, like, our interest impacted by what these people are doing over there? It's not. Um, whatever. But, you know, the media has to make this dude into the craziest, scariest, you know, monster ghoul possible, right? And so that's that's the work that they've been doing. And then, you know... To, to, <laughs> the other part of it that, um, and I want to shout out to American Prestige for this, Danny, is I've been listening to your show and it's like talking about the history of the military industrial complex. And it's like, yo, these dudes don't have a reason for being. They don't have a purpose, right? The Cold War ended 30 years ago. They tried to do the shit like Kosovo or whatever, where like the military's used for like humanitarian reasons that couldn't stick. We did the fucking war on terror where like, you know, we would put ISIS ripping dudes heads off on TV and shit and like, oh, ISIS, we got to get the terrorists. That shit doesn't stick. They're floating the China shit, which is just like, again, we can't go to war with China because we just be going to war with ourselves. Like our fucking money is way too tied in with these people. There's, it, it, it just wouldn't happen. Like if, if the capitalists are telling our government what to do, they're not going to tell them to take down China. That doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever. So like China's a joke. And so they're just like, yo, hold on, man. This is, this feels, this can feel legitimate. This feels nice. We're defeating evil in Ukraine. Pump in 40 billion, Biden. In another two months, give us another 50. Let's let's go. And the funny thing to me is always that, like, particularly on Twitter, people act like they're the, these brave warriors defending Western civilization. <laughs> it's just so humiliating. You know, it's just they have no stake. They have no skin in the game. If they did, they wouldn't be doing this. And that's 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 mm. it's almost like was the best of, of both worlds because you get to feel like you're a hero that you're defeating evil and you have absolutely no way of getting hurt yourself or anyone in your family getting hurt. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the, the, the play, the, the it's just something that I call like, you know, world war two brain, you know, the, the sort of conventional wisdom on world war two. And I'm not saying that's the, the wrong conventional wisdom, but it is the conventional wisdom that uh, Hitler was on the rise um and the western democracies personified by one neville chamberlain in in the uk prime minister of, of the uk Limpress um, liberal neville chamberlain did yeah did uh, appeasement uh, uh and instead of like confronting hitler early and fully and forcefully and that's what led to 
the you know the the historical crime of the Holocaust and 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 you know 50 million people dead in World War II, um, and that that analysis just gets you know transposed to every single mm-hmm. conflict. It's like, well, you can't you can't do appeasement, you know, you can't be never Neville Chamberlain, you know, these guys they're they're Hitler, they're they're murderous, uh, psychopathic dictators hell bent on world domination. Uh, you got to do. I don't know. I, uh, it just seems like incredibly childish to look at things on a case by case basis to just see things um, with a one size fits all model. Um, and you know, Putin, who is a very bad man, um, is not Hitler. I, just, just this isn't. You know. Oh, uh, that's crazy. What? He, what? Are you and serious? More importantly, even if he was as evil as Hitler, you're gonna do this the... with our Jewish friend in attendance. You're yeah, gonna right. say some heresy like <laughs> yeah. that? What yeah. the hell? How dare you, Nanda? <laughs> How dare I know, you? I know. But like the thing is, even if you were Hitler, even if you or even if you were even more evil than Hitler, more deranged, more psychopathic, Ru- Russia doesn't have the state power or economic um, engine that the Germans had in the middle of the 20th century, or even today, like Russia mm. is a weak relative, like a relatively weak country. Um, again, we, it's been said a lot, but it's, it's always remarkable. It's a smaller economy than Italy, you know, and Italy's a, you know, Italy's a fucking joke, you yeah. know, um, like this isn't not, uh, this is not a, a hugely powerful hegemon that, you know, it goes to show that they were, you know, the United States in intelligence services, thought that Putin was going to overrun Ukraine in like three days. And like, they weren't able to because they're, they're shitty, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So even if you were as evil as, as Hitler, he just doesn't have actual power to back it up in the way Nazi Germany did. Um, so it's just a ridiculous comparison or even mode of analysis. Yeah. I mean, I want to get, I want to get to this Kanye stuff. And so we could, we could leave it there. Um, but going you know, on with Kanye. <laughs> Danny, man, you know, I'm, I, I love talking to you about this stuff because obviously you're a self-hating, traitorous Jew. I, um, I say what Larry David says, I hate myself, but it's not because I'm Jewish. <laughs> right. Um, and obviously you don't, you know, you don't take the tact of typical liberal mainstream people when it comes to questions of anti-Semitism, particularly here in America, right? It's important. Structural issue, I think, is the way to think about it. Not that there's not uh, incidents of anti-Semitism and individualized hate that there are, of course, but when you're you're looking at sort of at the level of the population, when you're thinking about racism and in terms of politics, I think that's how you have to think about it. I, I don't take the normal tack that the, the Jews are like an oppressed population in the United States of 2022. I, I think the Jews are effectively, you know, uh, what one might today call white, that is in structurally white, participating in discourses of whiteness for the most part, for the lived experience of most, if not all, Jews um, in the United States. There are, of course, Jews of color. Um, there, are, there are Jews who do, who do not present as quote-unquote white, and they are, uh, uh, through that, participating in structures of racism. Yeah, or, or, like or, Israelites. Yeah, victims, no, wait, no. Of, victims of structural racism are uh, or, or in that sort of space. Um, and that's a different thing, but 
but so I just wanted to make myself clear. And we could talk about the history of that and whatever, but uh, no, that's what that's I do want to get into point. because I think the Kanye thing opens that up. And, and I want to ask you seriously in earnestness, Danny, did you feel a way that I didn't put on my Instagram? I stand with my Jews and my Jewish friends. I support you and all of that. You didn't, did you feel a way that I didn't put one of those posts up? I, I did not. I didn't have people been put. I haven't seen anyone do that. I mean, maybe, you, maybe I self-select. It's, it's the friends that you have. None of your friends yeah. are yeah no one, i haven't seen so that's like a thing so people oh are like God, i stand what? with jews okay yes yeah, yes yeah, yeah. like yes okay um I stand with my jewish friends which right. is like right it's interesting because i think like on both sides there's some elements of confusion do you want me to get into that history of whiteness thing now or well i just want to foreground okay. it because like kanye comes out right and he's he's always like it's one of the classic like when you're off your meds of bipolar you're like super paranoid and classic internet conspiracy, the Jews run everything. The Jews are manipulating everything. The Jews, they look at them. They're, they're, they're the fucking CEOs at every single Hollywood studio. Look, at, I mean, every single media company, there's a Jew on the board and the blah, blah, blah. And the Jews, and these are the modes of influence. It's Hollywood. It's media. It's blah, 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 right? Like, it's the shit that I've been reading literally since I got on the internet. Um, it's, 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 it's so old. I, I don't even know what to say at this point. This shit is corny to me. Um, but I do want to get into sort of, of course, the history of American Jews and how we get to today where the fact of the matter is, yeah, like there's a lot of prominent people in finance, prominent people who ran the fed, prominent people, Hollywood studios, prominent people who own big, uh, media companies who are Jewish people. And I think some people would be like, well, isn't Kanye right? Don't the Jews run everything? I mean, it, it gets into such a large topic. So just very quickly, I yeah. think we're really in some sense talking about like who, which populations are white and which mm. aren't white. And you saw this actually, if you guys remember, Whoopi Goldberg had a comment recently where it's like, the Holocaust was against white people or something along those something something yeah, she like said it was, that. She basically said it was whites doing it to whites. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> how you gonna call it a hate crime right. if it's whites doing it to each other? Why right. don't and, white and, crime? And, right. Yep. And that's just because the, the who is considered to be white, which is what we mean by that is really part of the dominant structural population in a country has changed over the course of the 20th century. So I would argue in 2022, again, uh, for there are, of course, uh, exceptions, but Jews are for the most part white. That wasn't true in 1940. You know, mm -hmm. that wasn't true when we're talking about the Holocaust. Jews over the course of the 20th century, like other ethnic whites, previous populations that came here, like the Irish or the Germans, or more temporally close to the Jews, the Italians, have also over the course of the 20th and early 20th centuries. Say, I would say the fucking Cubans in Miami. I'll, I'll leave that to Nando to comment on the Latin X. Yeah. Ted Cruz isn't white? How, like right. you're gonna tell me Ted Cruz isn't a white dude? That's impossible. You right. like, he's Canadian. <laughs> don't get much white. Everyone in Canada, everyone in Canada is white. No, of course not. Right. Okay. So, was what you're getting at is that like populations that at one point weren't considered white eventually do become uh, considered to be part of of the white population. So, I, I think like that is what uh, the type of discourse that Kanye is partially participating in. And that's also the type of the discourse that people who are, who are posting things are also participating in. It's just where you fall along that, 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 that 
perception of whether Jews are quote unquote white or not. I personally do. And we could get into the question about like why there seems to be over Jewish overrepresentation in certain industries. Um, I think uh, there are people who have studied uh, this at length, but my understanding is that when it comes to Hollywood, um, a lot of Jewish immigrants were literally the first people to start the Hollywood studios, like the yeah. Warner Brothers, because they were barred from more traditional um, employment in legacy industries like newspapers and journals. So that hmm. when people interested in media were were able to do, you know, which in the early 20th century, the movie business was um, my understanding when it comes to things like finance is that that's mostly related to meritocracy, because traditionally Jews were actually barred from American banks, you know, when you're in the, from the from the 20s my understanding uh let's let's slow down let's slow down quickly because because hello listener guess who's back it's me anthony mays your favorite butcher turned podcast producer and i'm here to talk to you about butcher box butcher box is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep free shipping vacuum sealed packaging It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. When Sorry, you say, too fast, too fast. No, no, because when you say, listen, <laughs> I, high I, level information, dude. I have, tr- I have triggers because I know this is something that I had to learn. Like when you say meritocracy, you're not saying that the Jews got there because it was merited or they yeah, earned. Like, no, how we, no. a, it's a critique system. of meritocracy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's an actual system that we call meritocracy, right? Which is like you tested and graded into Harvard and blah, blah, blah. And now from Harvard, you get to white shoe law firms and you get to work at Goldman and you get to do whatever. That's the meritocracy that we're talking about. Not that there's actually a system where the people who have the most merit get to ascend to these high level positions. It's literally the system. Briefly, so... This really, there's a change after World War II where it's actually one of the big unanswered questions in American history is like, why did the WASP elite allow itself to essentially not be taken over, but to to really diminish its power after World War II? It really did happen. Uh, The statistic I give, Yale, you know, this meritocratic institution didn't have a tenured Jewish professor until 1946, you know, one year after World War II, one year after the Holocaust. So there's a shift after World War II where instead of, you know, your your dad was the right guy and then you went to, 
you know, Andover, and then you went to Harvard, like George mm. H.W. Bush um, or Kennedy, that was how you entered the American power structure. What happens after World War II is you get the introduction of a system called meritocracy that, you know, Harvard's going to accept the smartest people, the people who do the highest on the tests, and mm -hmm. they're going to, you know, be the leaders of the country. And that's basically how, quote unquote, ethnic whites, um, Jews, but also a lot to a large degree Catholics as well, um, entered what might be called the American power elite. That's all I'm referring to. And that, I think, is mostly like my understanding as to why you see Jewish um, representation in like white shoe law firms or finances. It's it's part of this meritocratization process. And you could say the same for other, you know, quote unquote, ethnic whites who were considered, you know, not quite white. And then you could say II. the same thing for Asian people, Indian today. people th th today. Yeah. Like this is how they get to these higher, spots. higher income per capita than even like white people. Uh, right. Like they go to Stanford, they go to Harvard, they go to Yale, and then they get these big ass jobs. It was, uh, could you, I was, I was thinking about like when throughout this whole, whole Kanye thing, I've been thinking a lot about like a conversation that you and Mike had and had a few times about, what Jay Z had a chain uh some point uh the well, yeah it, yeah Jay Jay like, what is Jay. that whole thing and why is that so popular amongst like black rappers um because okay so the nation of Islam yeah. as you guys know is an offshoot of actual Islam or what I would right. call real Islam right yeah yeah um <laughs> and it started by Elijah Muhammad in New York City. Right, like they're in New York, the tri-state area, New Jersey, Newark, those places, Harlem, all of that stuff. And one day, a dude named Clarence 13X, who was part of the nation is Islam, he splintered off. There's a lot of reasons why they say he he left the sect, but he was like, Yo, um, I don't want to be down with the nation no more. And he started his own thing called the five percenter nation of gods and earths which is you know it's just a different version of that same nation of islam shit right um it's just, it's it's an offshoot but that five percenter nation that shit proliferated all around new york city around the time that a lot of these rappers were growing up so we're talking about the 70s and 80s you know like this shit was all over new york it was in places like bedstuy brooklyn harlem all yeah, of those i remember over. it yeah i mean you obviously must have from being a kid yeah yeah of course like, what is it what does it mean to be a five percenter five percenter is this idea that there's like there's like 90 percent of the people are lost 10% of the people know what know what's going on. I think Did you like, ever watch Oz, the show Oz? I never yeah. watched that show. Do you remember Supreme Allah Nando? He That's he's he's a five percenter. Yeah. Is this idea that like five percent of them are the people with the knowledge are using it for nefarious needs, for nefarious um ways? And there's another five percent of the five percent of the nation who are trying to enlighten people and bring them into the light. Right. Um, and, you know, they basically teach you shit like the Greeks didn't invent the Pythagorean theorem. They got the, the fucking actual knowledge from the Egyptians. But, you know, they we whitewashed the Pythagorean theorem. Like, it's like, how do you fuck do you think C the Egyptians? Can I say a quick history thing here very yeah. quickly? Because I read about this. It's really interesting because the Egyptian thing comes from the 70s. Like, do you guys remember like Steve Martin doing King Tut? Stuff? Yeah. Because I, I believe, if I recall, 
that King Tut goes on a world tour in the 70s. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. There's a huge influx of Egyptian stuff and Egyptian culture. And there's also like a re, uh, uh, sort of like a, um, a reaffirmation of 20s culture, which was also because of Tut was found in the 20s, like really Egyptian focused, like even Ghostbusters is the hangover of that kind of. It's like a Sumerian deity. But yeah, there's a re real spark of interest in Egyptian stuff in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah, and it's this idea that basically the Egyptians, they would have had to know these fucking mathematical equations to build something like the pyramids, which is just way before Pythagoras, right? And the idea of the black, the the 5% is it's this sort of, it's a counter narrative to the, 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 the sort of black pathology narrative that you get in America, that black people are lazy, dumb, don't know anything. That's why their plight in America is what it is. And what the five percenters are trying to do is it's the counter narrative. It's like, not only are we not lazy, we're fucking kings. Um, we made the pyramids. Have you ever heard of Mansa Musa? So they're calling um, like Egyptians black. Like it's like- Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Um, they're just owning that Africa, uh, that Africa thing, and not only that, not also only a very nineteen seventies thing, like the Pan Africanism, one hundred percent African nationalism of like Nasser and Gaddafi, shit, you, know? you know that yeah, Gaddafi. the African Union, yeah, and yeah. and not only are white people not superior to us, they are they were grafted from pigs on the Greek island of Patmos seven thousand years ago. <laughs> Wait, so what does that have to do with the Jews? It, it, a lot of five percent, a lot of nation of Islam, the ideology is just like the Jews are not the actual um, lost tribe of Judah, like that. It's actually these East African homies that are the real tribe, um, right. you know, like that, that the Jews took that with white Jews, what they would call white Jews, took that from the real lost tribe of Judah, um, the, the, the real people, chosen people, which, again, are black people like it's yeah. it's it's just awesome. this. It's 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 a counter narrative to what you get about black people, especially coming out of civil rights and American apartheid, Jim Crow, all of that kind of stuff. Like if you really get into it, a lot of it is pretty kooky. Like if you get into um, Nation of Islam stuff, it's kooky. But I will say this. I will say this because there was like a part. There was like a time in my life where I was like super interested in five percent of shit. Yeah. ideology and all of that. Not that I wanted to join, but just learning what these people actually believe. And the 7,000 years ago shit, like, that's a thing that, like, an evil scientist invented white people out of whole Is it Yakub? Is it Dr. Yakub? Yeah, Yakub. Yakub. Yes. It's also related to this Arabic, this interest in Arabic. In the, it's very interesting, yeah. It's an, in the, on the Greek island of Patmos, invented white people breeded them to be hyper aggressive and you know all the evil oh. things that people now associate with white people honestly and national geographic put out some new founding and it was like essentially the first german like fossil that they could find is from seven thousand years ago <laughs> and the shit essentially like popped up they have no explanation as to how the Germans got Yacoub, there, dude. Yacoub. seven thousand years ago, isn't Wait, that? And so, what's the deal? What's the deal with the Black Israelites? Because I remember when I was a kid and I went to New York City for the first time by myself. I went to a Pearl Jam concert when I was like fifteen uh, with my friends, and uh, I remember we just stood there for like 
two hours being yelled at by the black Israelites in, in Times Square, I think it was, we were just like, what is going on? And I've like, never, I've never like, what is, who are, why, why? Well, they, why they're, they're the ones that, they're the ones that actually, like, I think 5%, 5% don't think they're part of the lost um, tribe of Judah or whatever. I don't think that's it. I think Israelites are people who actually do believe that they are descended from that lost tribe and they are God's chosen people and not the Jew people, the white people who call themselves Jews right. nowadays. Um, but I do want to get back to the white Jews of America um, if we can, because um, yeah. I know Danny has to go soon. And so like to your ear, fuck what Kanye's saying, just the way that we are trained to deal with anti-Semitism in 2022, like, what's your analysis of that, especially on the liberal ledger of things? Well, I think it's basically, you know, not following the first law of historical materialism, which is mm. eternal now and forever, which is that you have to look at the circumstances uh, of 2022 and what structural position given populations find themselves in. So it's going to me, I, I think it's going to be very difficult to, you know, prevent stochastic instances of violence, like a, a shooting at a synagogue or random mm -hmm. instances. That's not a thing we could ever stop. Yeah, right. But but when you're talking from a structural level, I, I don't think Jews suffer from structural oppression. Um, so I think that you, that has to be the starting point of any analysis that one is doing. Um, I think, to, to be to be frank, I think that a lot of the people who get upset about this are really the first generation after the Holocaust. And so mm -hmm. they, they grew up in a particular historical moment when, you know, the Jews had suffered mm -hmm. an incredible genocide. Um, and so they, they're sort of their their radars are always kind of going i think as we get further and further away from the the living memory of the holocaust it's already not even a living memory it's sort of like people who knew the people who were close to the people who survived it um then you'll you'll see less and less arguments about structural anti-semitism which i, I think but i want but i want to i want to ask you something that you know i've heard a jewish homie posit to me before it's this it's this because like, I think part of the, the discourse, too, is how a lot of um, American Jews think of their identity as being part of this bigger story of Jewish people through the centuries of just like, you know, we were, you know, there was this time in Spain where we were really comfortable. Thanks. And everything, was, and, and everything was going really great. And then they fucking turned against us. And then there was that time in Italy. And then there was that time in France. And then there was that time over here. And then there was the fucking German uh, fucking Holocaust, right? And like, there's this, there's this grander narrative that stretches back throughout the centuries where like, you know, a Jewish person of a certain, you know, ideology might say to me or you or Nando, like, no, we're part of a long history of constantly being hated on. Right. And, and just because we're good right now in America, right now, and God knows you ain't never been this good nowhere else before. Um, just because we're good right now in America, we are damn good. It always feels tenuous. It feels fleeting. What do you say to that analysis? It, things could feel whatever you want them to feel. I think you actually have to analyze it. And I think the situation mm. of the Jews in Europe 
which admittedly culminated in the Holocaust and in Europe is essentially, you know, I think what Hitler called Judenrein, Jew free. Europe is effectively Jew free. He succeeded. But I still think that the situation of Europe is just fundamentally different from the United States. What I think the, the United States is really built on the, the two oppressions of indigenous genocide and the enslavery of people of African descent. Um, and I think the Jews coming to the United States, for the most part, in the late 19th and early 20th century, just occupy a different space. Mm. Um, this is not to say that there's never instances of anti-Semitism. Um, the Leo Frank case in Georgia, you know, a famous instance of, of really vicious anti-Semitism. It's not to say it doesn't exist, but I just think it's fundamentally different than what, than what was happening in Europe. That's what I say to that. I I've yeah. had conversations myself. When there's when there's the the ease to which you can create an outgroup to scapegoat, right? In Europe, in in the thirteen. Well, Jews were part of the structure of Europe, just like people of African descent were part of the structure in the United States from the beginning, kind of. You no, know? no, no, totally. My point is that because Jews because Jews were kind of the 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 one minority in a lot of European countries. It's not a uniformly true, but like um, the, the Jews were kind of. In these in, in these otherwise relatively homogenous countries, Spain notwithstanding, um, that when things go wrong and you need an outgroup to define, you know, to to sort of blame and scapegoat, um, they were kind of the ones there, you know. Whereas in the United States in in twenty twenty two or even you know since the Jewish uh, migration to the United States in the in the in around the turn of the century, there was a whole there was other groups. That were much easier to to define as the as the outgroup. Um, I mean, most importantly, black people. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So and, it's, and that's what you're getting at. You're getting at the structural element, which again yeah. has to be the 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 lens that we use and, when we're and talking that's, about this. And that's what I want to speak to. Like Danny, we had you up here because I wanted to get to the Jewish part of this Kanye thing that blows up, right? And I want to speak to the black part because I'm here to tell you, as your resident black person on the woke bros. A lot of black people are obsessed with the Jews. And it's for the reason that y'all just stated, like the Jews seem to be a people who were made in an obvious other. Like these people were the niggers of Europe, right? Yeah. Like they were an outgroup. They were outcast, castigated. These, they were the enemy of the power structure. And slowly but surely, they've become one with that structure in a way that black people don't think that they are. But <laughs> let me tell you, there are Negroes participating in it, <laughs> but whatever. Barack Obama's um, just about to buy the Phoenix Suns, you know, like yeah. that's that's how you know you've made it, you know. But but again, um, there's this there's just this idea that the Jews have got it together, you know. Like, how did they do this? That, that's, the, that's the eternal question for so many black people. It's like, how did they achieve this? How did they go from being holocausted to goddamn killing it all across the board? Like, there are no Jewish projects. There's no Jewish neighborhood that would mirror some black spot in rural Mississippi. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, well, as you know, the term ghetto is from Italy, of right? Course. To refer to the Jews. Yeah, of course. Of course. But what the black people would say is like that shit don't exist nowhere in America, you know, and they want and people want to know, like, how do black people get there? And, you know, a lot of black people think whenever you hear the term 
group economics. You know, it's the old anti-Semitic that, well, the Jews, uh, uh, a dollar doesn't leave the neighborhood, at least it, until it touches another Jewish hand seven times or some shit. Essentially, I don't know, group racial capitalism. New York stuff. I haven't heard that one in like 20 years. Uh, <laughs> group economics. This it's is, like yeah. so ridiculous. Is this idea if I just keep buying Jay-Z champagne and I just keep going to the black baker and I just, that's going to bring black people out the slums is it's so ridiculous, but that's what comes out of that, right? Like th this kind of shit is a result of that. Like I really do feel like a lot, especially prominent blacks, they have Jews on the brain. Because every single place they turn, every ladder they climb, they're meeting Jewish people all the time, you know? And it's just like, how did they, how did they do this shit? And Danny, you so beautifully put it, they're white. <laughs> they, they, they accessed whiteness. It's really not that hard. Like they got to access whiteness at a time that no black people could. They right. got to- Right place, right time. They, right place, right time. Yeah, they got to access whiteness. Back when it really mattered, back when in the 1940s, being white really mattered. Like being black really did have a really huge determinative factor in your life. Just being black. Like, yes, in in 1840-something, being black was highly determinative. Like, yeah. yeah, like, yo, once you're black, boom, here's your path. I'm sorry, y'all, in 2022... That ain't the fucking case. It's just not. I don't know what to tell these motherfuckers. What was? Is this our pilot audition for the Ringer, where we're gonna we're gonna? Oh uh, yeah, the the the, the, the episode series on black Jewish relations. Danny wants to pitch a pod to the Ringer where we just <laughs> we break down the, bridging the, the divide. Yeah. The Brit, well, because the Jews and the blacks used to be divided. That was a big part of one of the anti-Semitic like talking points. It was like, yeah, yo, they're riling up the Negroes, the Jews. Yeah. That's all they're here to do. They're riling up these Negroes. That's all they well, want to the, do all day. There's also you the know? Great Sopranos episode that touches on like the history of Jews, like on like, the record music. companies. That's the worst yeah. Sopranos episode. A hit is a hit. <laughs> That's it, one of the worst episodes yeah. ever made. It, it's such. It's a probably bad the worst episode. Sopranos episode. That or the Columbus Day episode. The it times that David episode. Chase tried to deal with identity <laughs> did not go well. Yeah, not great. Uh, but the Columbus Day episode has been memeified, so therefore it's a great episode. You know, well, yeah, Furio, yeah. Furio, Furio. And, yeah. It, and it's funny because it's like, like David Chase, the Italian yeah. guy who changed his fucking name so that people wouldn't know he was Italian, like talking yeah. about identity. Like that's, you know, there's something there, of course. But yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm just happy we had this episode because like I really do because like, I was talking to somebody yesterday where I see a bunch of black people on the internet talking about, well, when Kanye said slavery was fake and blah, 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 Harry Tubman ain't free no slaves, this and this and that. Slavery's a choice. <laughs> a you, were lazy. you know, like all of this stuff that was like, oh, anti-blackness doesn't get you. I'm like, but he's black. Like if he was Jewish saying all this shit, I think there would be different consequences for a Jewish cat doing this than a black dude. Like when you're black, you can be anti-black in public. Yes. People will pay you to do so. That's, you know, that's the thing. But I, but I do think a lot of those statements are rooted in anti-Semitism of just this idea that, like, you know, the Jews are just, like, they're just so controlling. And, yo, and the, and the crazy thing is, like, I, I don't give a fuck. Kanye's, like, a 500 millionaire at this point from sneakers, and he loses his deals. Who gives a fuck? I don't give a shit. He could but sponsor I the pod. Yeah, come sponsor it, Kanye. I'll, I'll take your sponsorship dollars. I will say this. I will say this. 
him getting canceled for this is like feeds right into the anti-Semitic like tropes totally. and ideas. Well, you know what I mean? The, I mean, the, I mean, the, the real thing about the the Kanye thing is that like I find it hard to take too seriously, and I find people who do take it very seriously just kind of unsettling. Well, Reese that. Witherspoon said her Jewish friends' families are now in danger because of it. Well, he's just clearly going through like a mental about breakdown. Me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Danny's got to go. So yeah. Should, uh, Danny's got to go. Thank you for the time, Danny, the expertise, the knowledge. You're always making us smarter. Um, of course, shout to my man, John Gervais, on the boards. Uh, yeah, become a Patreon, patreon.com backslash count the dinks. Support all the great shit we're doing here at Woke Rolls and all over count the dinks. Danny, tell these people where they can get your great work. I'm an American prestige. Not even Patreon no more. Y'all Substackers now. So I'm on your Substack. I'm yeah. all over this thing. Dangerous. So much. Yeah, yeah, we're the dangerous. We're heterodox thinkers. Yeah, so if anyone wants to check it out, uh, American Prestige, Farm Policy, History stuff, and uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, at Bestner. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.